podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your World Cup Daily. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? I have no idea what day it is. <laughs> well, today is Friday. It would normally be the weekend tomorrow. We would normally be looking forward to seeing Liverpool play, or this season dreading seeing Liverpool play. However, in this World Cup year, with this World Cup going on, there is just four more football matches tomorrow. As there were four football matches today, Carl... And once again, there were some good and some not so very good. Let's start with the first one. Wales nil, Iran 2. A very different Iran than the team we saw play England. Much more disciplined, much more aggressive in terms of winning the ball back and counterattacking, getting players forward. They managed to win the possession battle with Wales. And what I mean by that is they let Wales have the majority of the possession <laughs> and just sprung the counters. It did take the Wayne Hennessy red card and the introduction of the one and the only Danny Ward to see Iran get two late goals. But nobody, not even the most ardent Welsh fan, could claim that Iran weren't fully deserving of that win. Yeah, uh, Wales were particularly poor and Iran were very, very impressive and deserved the points. No question about that. I mean, you know, if it had been 2-0 before the red card, I think that also would have been a fair reflection of the game, to be perfectly honest. You know, they've hit the post a couple of times. There's been a couple of really um, fortunate moments, let's say, in the six-yard box and one really good uh, Hennessy save away to his right side as mm. well. So all in all, the chances were very, very much one-sided. There were a couple of moments, but by and large, Wales didn't really produce the kind of build-up play that they needed. They didn't produce any kind of delivery into the box um, for, for Kiefer Moore to attack, for Gareth Bale to attack, because he's very good in the air as well. Um, I think Iran got it absolutely right in terms of the changes that they made, bringing in Asmund up front as a bit more of a channel runner, but then letting Taremi play behind him instead of from the flanks, I think was, was vital. He was really good with his link play, uh, carried the ball very, very well as well. And like you say, they, they absolutely let Wales have the ball, but let them in, let them have the ball in very deep areas where they couldn't really do anything with it. And they really did work very, very hard across that midfield four to stop Wales, uh, being able to put the wing backs very high, being able to play through the thirds. I, I think Ramsey again was just an absolute non-entity mm. uh, for far too much of this game. Um, it, it was disappointing to be honest from, from a, the perspective of Wales getting something out of the game and going through, but full credit for Iran. That was a, a big, big showing from them. It was. It very much was, and I fully agree with you. I thought Ramsey was particularly poor today. I thought Bale had a stinker as well. And, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about Gareth Bale and, and the Superman performances that he has put forward for Wales. And, and that's all 
very, very fair. But if we're going to be really honest about Gareth Bale, he hasn't been a consistently good footballer in a number of years now. I mean, his last few seasons with Real Madrid were a disaster. He was largely out of the team, coming off the bench, playing in little spurts, offering very little to the team. He made the move to LAFC. He made no real impact in MLS. He had no real impact in Euro 2020. He has had no real impact at this World Cup. He did obviously score the penalty that he won against uh, the USA, but he was poor in that game. He was awful again today. And I think it's fair to say that the Ramsey-Bale era for Wales is over and they need to now start afresh because without those two, I don't know what this team is. Yes, uh, I think it's... You know, probably something that they'll try and per- persevere with. It's not like they're about to retire. Well, with Bale, I suppose we never know. The rumours have been there for a while. But anyway, um, that aside, I think Wales have leaned a little bit too much into the, you know, togetherness and the spirit and the emotion of everything and not quite enough into the actual patterns of play and build up and everything because they they are a decent side when they click. Like we've seen them have spells of games where they do look better and they do look capable of you know, creating things and, a couple of different people who are capable of doing goal scorers and all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't enough and we didn't see enough of them. And the depth in that squad is is not so good that I think they can afford to not build around now for the next qualifying uh, phase around people like Brennan Johnson who are now mm. getting top flight experience, that kind of thing. So there will need to be a few changes. Um, but look, the, the, the guts of the 11, as you would say, uh, are more or less there still. I think yeah. from from even the first two games that we've seen, I think Joe Roden has done himself quite quite a good um, tournament so far in terms of his uh, determination and aggression and a few defensive bits like on the ball. Again, I still think that there's there's quite a bit to, to improve on for him. And positionally, obviously, that's what you get for the, a young defender. But he looks better here than I think he did at the Euros quite significantly. Um, Ampadu, again, today, I think was very, very good from a defensive standpoint. But again, are you getting enough from a player uh, like him in terms of midfield build-up, I would I would say that that's where Wales really need to find the next steps for themselves. Yeah, I think Ampadu's future is is in that back three with Joe Roden and Ben Davies moving forward. Uh, you know what really helps Joe Roden? Playing regular football, as he mm. has been this year with Wren. And you can see he's more confident, he's more assured, and like you said, he's more decisive in his actions. Uh, next game up, Qatar 1, Senegal 3. Bula Dia and Famara Didio putting Senegal one up. Mohamed Muntari with a great header got Qatar back in the game, but Bamba Dieng wrapped it up. Senegal with a good win. Qatar are eliminated, but at least they got a goal. They're likely to lose their last game to the Dutch, but at least they got a goal and they can, you know, point at that and say we didn't get embarrassed at our own World Cup. No, they didn't, because I think everybody would agree that in the first 20 minutes or so of the first game, it looked like they could do. Um, so I think it was it was good for them to actually, in that second half, have a bit of a go, because they didn't, again, in the first half. They were quite defensive and you know, structured and stayed in the shape and everything. But the second half, I will say, they did come out. They did start to play a lot higher upfield, and they created probably three or four really good chances. So in terms of the team and the players, I think, yeah, absolutely spot on. It's really good that they did get the goal. It was an absolutely fantastic header as well, I have to say. 
Uh, I would also say that I think about every single one of Qatar's chances in these first two games other than one that I can think of was a header as well. So mm. maybe something to, to work on there is the actual build-up play along the ground and the movement. Um, but again, I think Afif and uh, uh, Ali linked up pretty well uh, at times. So you can see that, again, there are things that they can cling to in terms of progression afterwards and look to build through. But Senegal, I think, is the, the more obviously relevant piece here in that they have the chance to go through still. Them against Ecuador is going to be very, very intriguing game. I think Senegal at times looked quite good. I think the shape was a little better today. Um, not quite relying on as much uh, runners from central midfield, not the three uh, central midfielders who are all primarily destructive ball winners and protectors. So better from them, but I do still think that they are needing more improvement if they're actually going to go through. Yeah, I, I liked the decision to play Diallo at centre-back where he belongs, not at left-back where he really struggled in the opening game. I thought Jacobs made a difference. Sabali, who plays is playing right-back, to my knowledge, he's actually a left-back. And I have rarely seen a fella move and kick a ball who looks less like a footballer than him. Um I, I liked the approach of going with Saren and Diata, uh, Diata on the wings with two up front. So they had a real focal point to their attack. But like you say, not quite getting enough for midfield. It does set up Senegal's game against Ecuador really nicely. Today's snooze fest was brought to you by Netherlands versus Ecuador. The game ended 1-1. Cody Gakbo on six minutes. And then Ener Valencia equalizing on 49 minutes. A game largely controlled and dominated by Ecuador, who had 15 shots to the Netherlands, too. Only one shot on target for the Netherlands. That is really, really poor. Now, they struggled to get anything going through the midfield, largely because Frankie de Jong spent his game in the pocket of Moises Caicedo. But I was really expecting a lot more from the Dutch today. Bringing in Timber, bringing in Coop Miners. These were positive changes. They were negated a little bit by playing Davy Klassen, though he did make the first goal. Although, you know, that's not really all that much of an assist. I do think, I do think these Louis van Gaal needs to figure out what he wants to do in that final third. And I think part of it is going to be getting more from the wide areas. We know Daly Blint's not going to overlap and offer much down that flank. It's got to come from the other side. And Denzel Dumfries just isn't, producing right now for me Jeremy Frimpong has got to start that last game against Qatar and see if he can offer something of a spark down that side yeah I agree I would even be tempted to I mean the first half they did a little bit Frankie de Jong a little bit deeper and then Klassen and Kupmein is a little bit ahead of him but then it quite quickly went to a two and Klassen was playing more or less as the 10 anyway I would be inclined to maybe try and swap them around and have maybe Kurt Miners as the deepest one, and then De Jong and maybe De Bruyne. Maybe Ken Taylor, if they're going to give him a go, they've got him there. You might as well try and make the most of him. Like you say, in this in this second, uh, sorry, the third game against a team who's already out and, let's be honest, is, is the weakest one. You've got to try something different because it's not it's not working at the moment. I mean, one shot in 85 minutes, that, that was it was not good at all. The build-up play is just not there. That whole left-hand side, I think, is a bit of a waste. Because um, Ake and you know, he's, he's fine, he defended quite well, but in the build-up play, he's not going to offer all that much. No. Blint doesn't have the physical capacity to get up and down in the way that they need to. And even Dumfries, to be honest, 
his big strength is, is not so much being like the athletic wide player. It's the fact that as a wing back, he can attack the box really well. But he's very, very good at picking up positions when a cross is coming in from the left-hand side. He's coming in as an extra attacker in the box, all that kind of stuff. That's where you get the best out of him. But without the Netherlands actually attacking down the left very high up the field, you're not getting that out of Dumfries either. So, yeah, I'm fully on board with with um, Frimpong getting the chance. I think he's been pretty electric this season, to be fair. Um, Ecuador, on the other hand, another uh, tactical switch that we've seen from a few of the teams already in the two games. They went to the back three today and... Again, I, I quite liked what they did. I didn't yeah. think Ibarra They looked like a team that are used game. to playing it, Carl. It yeah. didn't look yeah. like it was new to them. No, imagine that. Um, I, I didn't like Ibarra's performance in the first game. He was playing uh, left wing in the 4-4-2, basically, in that first match. So I was quite glad that he came out. I thought he was very stodgy in build-up play. didn't really offer too much and got in the way of Estupinian, which was you know, one of the more important factors. Mm. With Estupinian, just as a wing-back, it was a lot easier for him just to pass forward and make... Lots and lots of um, contributions to the build-up play. I think Ecuador have a very, very nice way of playing, and at the moment, I would put them. At the moment, I would put them comfortably ahead of Senegal to take that other spot, assuming the Netherlands obviously don't do something incredibly Netherlandsy. Um, we'll see if uh, if that does prove to be the case, but so far, I think Ecuador very impressive overall. Yeah, I agree. Uh, they will miss Mendes in the third game, but they do have other options to come into that central midfield area and replace him. Yeah, and Emma's injury at the end of the game obviously is a, a big thing as well. It, it is, but he got injured in the last game as well and I'm not just sure yeah. I'm not sure he's not just doing it for for the uh the pomp and circumstance and the drama of it all. I think he was just knackered to be totally honest. Uh so group A sits after two games, Netherlands top, Ecuador second. It is fair play that is separating them right now. Senegal in third, a point behind with an inferior goal difference to the other two. And then Qatar, bottom out, not worth uh, considering anymore. But congrats to them. At least they got a goal. And two games in, they haven't been embarrassed. Uh, Final game of today. England nil, the United States of America nil. Football versus soccer. And Carl, soccer very nearly won. This was a game in which the Americans were better set up, better prepared, more aggressive, more well-organized, and frankly, just flat-out better on the day. <laughs> Don't be like it. Don't be like it. The, the oh, Americans were good, different. and you can't deny it. They were, I mean, I don't know if I would go so far as to say they were good. They were better in every single one of the respects that you've just mentioned. I think they also made better changes off the bench for what they were trying to do. Uh, I think England's were puzzling to say the least, but the game was not good. There was such a lack of quality overall, um, short of about maybe two, three moves. Uh, England had a couple of good moves down the right flank where they managed to get in behind Robinson very, very early on in the game and then just stopped doing that. Um, there were, there was one, I can't remember which half it was in now. There was another sort of sweeping move that England managed to put together, uh, which ended in a reasonable chance, but again, nothing, too good at the end of it in terms of, I think it was Kane's header at the end of that move. Can't really remember now. Uh, and then USA, same again. A couple of moves. The Pulisic one off the woodwork obviously was the closest they came. But overall, considering that both teams had a lot of the ball and because the other team kept giving it away so much, I, I just don't think that either of these teams did anywhere near as much. I think England were poor in midfield. The shape was very, very uh not conducive to to the build-up play which they're capable of doing i think mason mount was 
pretty awful, awful for, for most of the Jude match. Bellingham was awful and yeah. Declan Rice was awful. Yeah. They got yeah. comprehensively outplayed individually and collectively by Weston McKenney, Tyler Adams and Eunice Musa. That, they got it, dominated in midfield. There's no way I around it. Agree. I completely agree, but I would even say that from a technical perspective, when England did have the ball, I think the three of them, Rice less so, but Mount especially, was so loose with his first yeah, touch. Yeah, really yeah. wasteful. Really, really good uh, space to receive the ball in a couple of times. So, you know, finally got himself in there, but at least twice. Bad first touch, bad decision at the end of it. Sterling, an absolute non-game whatsoever. Mm. Just very, very poor altogether from England. So I think that um, I think they're very fortunate actually that they got Iran on the game that they did rather than the reaction game from Iran because yeah. the Iran who played Wales today looked like they would have given England much more of a, a, a game. So I'm not really sure what we're seeing with England here, whether it was the fact that they didn't need to win and they didn't need to push. Um, it's kind of playing out how I expected in terms of three points on the first game and then a point apiece from the last two games. That's what I said England would get to top the group. So far, that is the case, although obviously the performance in the first game was above what I was expecting. Mm. So, But also worth pointing out that the performance before 1-2-0 and two nil in the first game was roughly similar to this performance yes. from England tonight against USA. That's exactly what I was thinking. About 25 minutes into this game, I was thinking this is exactly like the performance up until they scored against Iran. Now, Iran weren't offering as much as the Americans were, but England were just so poor. Then they get the goal, they get a second goal, and it builds confidence, and Iran's confidence just fell apart, and by the end, they are basically just throwing in goals. But I thought America were well-organized. I thought Reem and Zimmerman defended well. Uh, Robinson and Dest don't offer a whole lot getting forward, but they're both diligent in their defensive work. I, I thought the midfield three for the Americans were excellent, individually and collectively, Tyler Adams gets through a phenomenal amount of work. Eunice Musa looks like he might be the ideal Jurgen Klopp midfielder. And Weston McKenney, I think, had the best chance of the game, where he drove down the right, Declan Rice went with him, he gave the ball up, and he just drifted across the, the penalty box. Rice is all at sea, has no idea where McKenney's gone. The ball comes to him, and if he just keeps his head down and gets over the ball, I think he scores, but he leans back and skies it over the bar from 12, 13 yards out. What Harry Maguire was doing in that moment, I don't know. Jumping out to hug. Uh, I'm not sure if it was right or way ahead he jumped out to hug. If America had had a goal scorer, I think they win this game. Like a real proper goal scorer up front, and it's a bit of a shame that Ricardo Pepe hasn't developed over the last 12 months, but I think there's enough there with a real manager after this World Cup that the Americans can be quite um, quite excited about what this squad could become. There's a lot of talent in midfield and attack. And, you know, we saw the likes of Gio Reyna and Brendan Aronson coming off the bench. They're very, very talented players. I know you're a big fan of Reyna in particular. If he can stay fit for a prolonged period of time, that kid could be a star. Um I thought the Americans played well. I thought England were garbage. I did. And, and like you said, the Southgate substitutions were so strange. He brings on Henderson. Lee Dixon proceeds to reach for the lube in the tissues. Henderson's only notable involvement in the game was one of them hoofed, looped crosses to nobody. The patented no-look clip. And, and Lee Dixon says, 
you normally expect a really good delivery. He normally delivers a great whipped cross from that area. And I'm wondering, what on earth are you talking about, you buffoon? He's never delivered a good cross from that area in his life. Um, I, Grealish, to his credit, came on and tried to make things happen. But the two interesting things in this game are the two things that really stood out for England. Harry Maguire was probably their best player. That's never a good thing. And Harry Kane had more touches in the England box than the American box. And in the last 10 minutes was constantly dropping into the Ameri- into the England half to try and pick the ball up and make things happen. That tells you all you need to know about England's performance today. Let's look at tomorrow, Carl. The first game is, um, well, it's not great. It is, oh, sorry, England top, currently England top group B. And they have four points, one more than Iran. US are third and Wales are bottom. Iran to shithouse a draw against the Americans and sneak through in second place? I'll give it a a couple of days to think about it, but I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. Um, I really wouldn't. I mean, USA drawing three games out of three would about sum up what they are. You know, they've <laughs> very got a lot of potential. Also, <laughs> yeah, they got they got a lot of potential, but they're not it. That's 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 for sure. They've not got all the finished uh, components that they need at the minute. Iran to get through this group would be incredible, to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest. I had them to finish third, I think, in the in the in the predictions, but I think that would be a massive, massive achievement. England, I think, are basically through unless they lose by four, I think I heard someone say earlier on. Yeah. Uh, against unless... Wales. So. If England England can go th- can lose by four and go through, definitely. And there's a circumstance in which they can lose by five and go through. So England are going through. There's just yeah, yeah. Wales could play England fifteen times and probably not score five goals. Um, tomorrow's games then. The first game mm. is from Group D, and it is the delight that is Tunisia. Versus Australia. Now, Tunisia I... drew their opening match with Denmark. Hmm. Australia lost 4-1 to France. What are you expecting from this footballing festival? I'll tell you what is going to first be the case about this game. And I, I'd like to know if this is everybody else or some other people at the very least, or just me. It really bugs me why they don't play in group order. Why is it group D having one game and then two games from group C and then one game back to group D? I mean, this is just annoying. What's the reason for this? It is very annoying. I, I My assumption is it's to get the shitty games from both groups out of the way first. So the 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. games, as they are in our part of the world, mm. uh, are, are going to get the bigger TV audiences because they're the more important games. And, you know, they want to give people something good to watch so that we can all pretend this World Cup has been of a good caliber. Well, you're probably right. And that's why people like me who are not paying attention and early, early morning podcasts get the groups wrong, like I did with Guy the other day, because I thought game one and game two were in the same group. Well, I wasn't paying attention, which I realized afterwards gave me three European teams in the same group. So that was not the case. Um, what are we going to get from Tunisia, Australia? I think that's probably enough tangents to to sum up the fact that I don't really know. And in all honesty, I don't really care. I'm going to watch this game because it's in the World Cup and I'll be watching all the games. But I would be watching this game with a very neutral, non-judgmental attitude, and I expect it will ultimately prove to be quite the irrelevance. Yeah, I'm going to watch this game with something on the other screen and keep just, you know, a half an eye on it. So I'll go nil-nil. <laughs> I'm going to go one-nil, and I don't know which way it'll go. 
I'll say Tunisia. Up the Aussies. Um, I'd like I'd like Australia to win. I, I, I have a, I have a fondness for Oz as you do. So, um, but nothing against Tunisia. It'd be great for them to get a win as well. It, it's all about the taking part. Um, we'll just we'll just point out here that Guy has made a silent prediction in the background in the uh, in the chat here, and he reckons that this is going to be the game of the competition apparently because he's gone for five five. <laughs> There's more chance of it ending five aside than there is of these teams scoring 10 goals between them. Uh, moving on then to Poland versus Saudi Arabia. Poland, I thought, really disappointing in their first game, Carl, against Mexico. They should have won the game, though, because they did miss a penalty. Robert Lewandowski missing. Um, Saudi Arabia pulling off one of the great shocks in World Cup history, beating Argentina 2-1, having gone behind. The Saudi high line and defensive trap and pressing game were absolutely spot on in that Argentina game. I'm wondering, can Poland find any way around that offside trap? Because they don't really have the pace to run in behind, which was also the problem that 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 Argentina had. (laughs) How do you see this one panning out? I, I am hopeful Saudi Arabia do the exact same thing and play that high line because exactly what you've just said, they don't have lightning quick players to get behind. I mean, Zalewski, left-hand side, if they play him a little bit higher up, potentially, he's not lightning, but he's fairly quick-like. Um, I think Poland's best option here is actually to play someone with Lewandowski, like right up alongside him, even if it is Milik and Lewandowski and have the you know twin towers and try to attack a little bit more agriculturally, but actually try to attack because, like I say, they were really disappointing. And I said this before the, the first game. I, I don't really like the way this Poland team is set up. I do like some of the players individually, but not the way mm. that they play here, not the way that they uh, approach matches. I think they're far too reductive for the actual quality that they have in this squad. And I I, I mean, let me spin it around and say, if you were Herve Renard in charge of Saudi Arabia, are you trying to just play for the draw here? Like, not necessarily just for the draw, but play to not lose this game, at least put yourself on four points. I mean, I can see the logic in it, especially considering they they could get a point against Mexico. That's definitely a game they can draw in. But I'd I'd look at this Poland team and it wouldn't scare me. Yeah, I mean, I I know Lewandowski is one of the greats, but... The midfield is is very very average unless Zielinski pulls out something. The defense I think is there to be opened up, but they're quite slow at centre back. I wouldn't be scared of them. I really wouldn't. I, I think you can do your normal game and look to open them up on the counter attack quite easily. I wouldn't be playing with a, a hesitancy when you get the ball when they're in transition. If you attack quickly, if you get the ball shifted forward quickly, Poland are a bit ploddy through the midfield and in the in defence, and I think there will be space for those Saudi Arabian attackers to exploit. I like that a bit ploddy. <laughs> I think I think that's something we could use in our half season review for Liverpool's midfield, isn't it? Yes. A bit ploddy. Um, yeah, I, I I actually think Saudi Arabia if anything, maybe have a bit of danger here of thinking they can actually go and attack this game rather than play a similar sort of way and try to you know, press it high and keep the high line and then transition and counter-attack. But 
maybe even trying to go away from that and actually attack this game. I think if they do that and go away from, you know, the fact that they were so aggressive and so together defensively and so willing to put the bodies on the line and all the rest of it, I, I do think that that is maybe the danger that they face here, not to overestimate where they are, let's say, just because they got a massive result in Poland, had a pretty disappointing performance. I think that that would be problematic based on a lot of these Poland players have huge, huge experience. A lot of these mm. Poland players have like, you know, spells and trophies and everything with very, very good sides. They'll know how to overcome that kind of team if Saudi Arabia lose their shape, if they lose their uh, resolution and organization, everything else. So I think that this could be a very intriguing game, even if it might be a little bit slower because, you know, Poland are quite ploddy. They are. I mean, you mentioned they're very experienced, but you know who's very experienced? Old players. Mm. Old lads are experienced. And this Poland team, through the spine, with Glick, with Krzyzowiak and with Lewandowski, they're old. And they can be exploited in transition. They Poland need to go and get a win here. They need a win in this game. They're going to have to commit men forward. And if Saudi Arabia are as diligent, as disciplined as they were in the Argentina game, they can absolutely turn the ball over and count these, uh, cap, hit these on the counter attack. I am going to go. I'm going to go for Saudi Arabia to win two one. I'm going to go for one one in the game, and I'm going to ask you: Do you think Saudi Arabia have, in the space of 20 minutes of the last game, suddenly somehow become the people's second team at the moment, at least? I think, in a way. The story um, seems to be very, very prevalent, uh, prevalent and, and big and forefront of everything still. Like every time a smaller nation plays, it's all about Saudi Arabia have given them you know, hope and a roadmap mm. and the way to play and all the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, look, we don't know. Argentina were poor in that game. Maybe Poland turn up and smash them tomorrow and all the feel-good thing goes away and maybe they lose to Mexico and they don't advance. But... It is nice to see one of the lesser nations from a footballing point of view, obviously not in any other way, uh, doing well and, and overcoming obstacles. I mean, when, when this group was named, everybody just picked them automatically to be bottom. Mm. So it would be kind of nice for the likes of ourselves who, you know, said they would be bottom. For It would be nice for us to get a bit of a slap in the face and them to finish top. <laughs> I know, but that's a bit it. Uh, moving on then to what I think is quite a fun game. France versus Denmark. Danes obviously drew with Tunisia. The French hammered Australia. But France, Carl, are reeling with more and more injury issues. Yeah, uh, obviously Lucas Hernandez, everyone knows by now, he's out for the group stage of the World Cup, the calendar year and many, many months beyond, unfortunately, with the ACL. Um, I don't think that there will be too many other alterations to the lineup. There may be maybe one change in that attacking three, for example, maybe Dembele gets replaced or something like that. But I don't imagine that Deschamps will change too many other starting 11 players, do you? I think well, Theo obviously obviously will well hopefully will come in for for Lucas. The only other change I could maybe see is Jules Kunde starting over Benji Pavard, who didn't have a particularly good game, and his defending for that Australian goal is it, it's 
it's going to live next to that goal he scored four years ago as, you know, a moment in time. Yeah, um, I, I, I mean, Deschamps is one of those managers like many others on the international scene who has immense trust and keeps people in the team no matter what. So I'm not going to say it's anything more than 60-40 that Pavard gets taken out, but he, he wouldn't be... Um, it wouldn't be done, uh, sorry, hard done by, let's say, if he if he was removed from that. But I think the fact that it's Denmark, the fact that France and Denmark have had a few games recently, let's say, uh, Nations League, Denmark won two one in in Paris and two nil, I think, on home soil. Mm. And you know, the the second game in particular, they were comfortably better than France, like comfortably, comfortably. It's the Nations League, so I don't really care, and you don't really read too much into it. But it is still indicative that. A, Denmark and France know each other very, very well. This isn't like, you know, when you come up against a nation you haven't played for 62 years or something like that. Uh, and B, the fact that Denmark's players will take a lot of confidence from that and they'll think, we didn't really do ourselves justice in the first game of the tournament, but we know this is a team we've come up against. We've coped with the, the threat of you know, Mbappe and the rest of them, and we've come out with a win, so we can do it again here. That's that's a bit of a difficult thing to overcome as well. It is. and Look, the Danes are set up to counterattack. The floor for the for them in the Tunisia game is that Tunisia weren't going to attack, attack, attack and leave themselves open. France will attack. France will dominate the ball. And Denmark are built to take the ball off them and hit them with pace and power going the other direction. Now, they don't have a clinical goal scorer, which is an issue, but they will create chances on the counter-attack against this team, without doubt. I think France will win the game. I think they'll win the game in not comfortable fashion, but I don't think we'll see them getting really pushed all that much. I'm going to go 3-2 to France, but I think they'll be 2, maybe even 3 up at certain points in the game. I'm going to go for less spectacular and very much more controlled and then after the game we'll get the things like oh, this is the other side of France and they can do both they can be spectacular and then they can mm, just grind it teams aside yeah so I think I'm going to go for 2-0 here and Denmark to really be struggling again to actually create clear goal scoring chances I think that that was a, a notable thing from the last match that it was quite slow in the final third they weren't really getting too many people around the um, Dolberg Scott coming in from the other side so it's things to improve there for them let's say but I think if France have more or less the same defensive shape the def- same defensive lineup whether it's Pavard or not comes in I really like that defense I have to say Bamakano is can be hit and miss but he can be like a 10 out of 10 defender some days and Kanate we know everything about so yeah I could I could see them being very very stubborn and very difficult to get through the longer this competition goes on if they keep that same line I do agree, but I think we all know that once Varane is uh, ready to play, he will play because, you know, like you mentioned, Deschamps is one who likes the the people he's comfortable with. Last game of the day then, Argentina versus Mexico. And this, this is must win for the legacy of Lionel Messi for Argentina's hopes at this World Cup. This is massive for them, Carl. But it's also a big, big game for Mexico because they'll want to get a, at least a point and give themselves a good chance of beating Saudi Arabia on the last day and getting through. 
what do you think of this one? <laughs> How much of a hangover are Argentina going to have from that Saudi Arabia game? Uh, I mean, I guess a bit, but it's very difficult to judge this because Argentina shouldn't really have like any kind of inferiority complex. You know, the the Copa America win should have solved a lot of these issues for them in terms of falling short and never quite, you know, doing what they they look to be capable of and all of that. Now, the Saudi Arabia game, you can look at it as an aberration. You know, the teams get bad results all the time and a shock result can come out of nowhere and all the rest of it. But it is about learning the lessons then and putting things in place so that it doesn't happen again. Now, if they go and line up against Mexico with exactly the same shape, exactly the same lineup, the same central midfield pairing of Paredes and Depal, I think they'll get beat. And I don't think that they could have too many complaints, to be honest, because we've just seen how Mexico play, how they try to um, make their, their better build-up work happen, let's say. They didn't create loads against Poland, but you could see where the build-up play came from. You could also see that they still struggle to get more than like two people into the penalty box at times. A lot of the dangerous uh, moments that they create comes through the channel work from Vega and Rafano. So it's not going to be a surprise for them. Therefore, if they play that double pivot pairing, they're going to get, first of all, overrun. They're going to be overloaded centrally all the time. They're still going to be restricted a little bit in terms of either giving the ball to Messi in the sort of 10 slightly deeper zones and Di Maria out on the right-hand side. I thought Pablo Gomez was very poor, very, very much on the margins of the game. Partly him on the ball, but also partly because Argentina just had no game plan other than get the ball wide to Di Maria or put it in behind the first you know, half an hour or whatever for Martinez to run through. But they're not going to get the opportunity to play quite so many of those through balls during this game, I would imagine. Mexico probably probably going to be happy enough to sit a little deeper and look to counter down the flanks and that kind of thing. That's what I'm expecting from Mexico. I'm not really sure what to expect from Argentina. Like, does Scaloni have, like, full confidence in the system that he has now? And he, even though he hasn't got Los sales, who was playing a really important role for them, is he still going to persist with what he's had is he going to make at least one of the changes there in in midfield obviously we saw quite a lot of changes in the first game in that sort of area of the pitch the the two and then the three so I think a lot of how this plays out depends on what Scaloni picks and how that mentality of the Argentina team and squad is in general in themselves like are, are they really confident that forget that last game now that's gone that was stupid fine but we can still overcome this and win the world cup or are yeah. they already in that mindset of everything rides on this we've got to be you know we've got to come through this time and if they do I can see them just trying to give it to Messi every single time and trying to give it to Di Maria every single time and then expecting those same people to produce moments of magic instead of concentrating on really good build-up play which they're capable of doing and they have like at least four potential good goal scorers in that side like even Mm. if you discount the fact that Messi is capable of off planetary scale stuff Yeah, I think he needs to make changes. I, I, you can't play that double pivot. You can't play Papu Gomez. I think he's probably going to have to look at either Alexis McAllister or Dybala if fit for the left-sided role. I really want to see Enzo Fernandez played in that midfield to give them just a real, a real quality distributor, because Paredes for me is is a worse player now than he was three years ago. And I like Rodrigo de Paul. I don't like him that deep. I know he's been Simeone'd and he's played a lot in a double pivot. But when Rodrigo de Paul 
was catching everybody's eye at Udinese. It was playing in more advanced positions. I'd even play him off the left and allow him to cut in in field and try and impact the game that way. But get get Lascelles or get um, Fernandez into midfield. Get somebody in maybe that's a bit dynamic because it's all very one paced in there. Paredes can't run. Rodrigo de Paul can't run. Papu Gomez can't run. Messi can't run all that much. Like defensively, he's not going to track back and he's not going to be a ball winner. He's not going to be aggressive in there. You've got to get somebody in who's a little bit of a bastard. And even if it means playing Lissandro Martinez in midfield, just to shake things up a bit, just to allow you to play a bit more front-footed and not wait for the game to come to you. They've got an awful lot of players that do the exact same thing. And while it has worked for them, it's not working right now and it will not work against Mexico. So I think he needs to be brave. I think he needs to make changes. Um, He won't make one of the changes that would help, which is to remove Nicolas Otamendi from his team. But I think there are changes he can make further up the field that can really impact this game and get Argentina back on track. I am going to back the Argentine win. I think it's going to be tight, though. I'll go 2-1. Yeah, I don't really know which way this game is going to go at all, I'll be honest. I, I could easily see Mexico grinding out a nil-nil here. But similarly, in the same way as like, it would take five minutes maybe of Poland creating chances and Lewandowski scores two and the game is gone away from Saudi Arabia all of a sudden, the same exact thing could happen here with obviously Messi. Um, it could be, actually in the first game, he had a really good chance where he just ran onto the ball basically with his first touch and left foot and finished mm. low. Normally that would be buried bottom corner and he didn't quite catch it on the part of the toe that he normally would do but if he gets one chance like that if he gets one shot from outside the box on his left foot it doesn't matter does it what you do and sometimes that's all Argentina need and that could very easily happen here it could again be you know the big guy with the storyline and all the rest of it so I'm going to go one nil Argentina but I'm not very confident about that whatsoever no, and there's no reason to be. They've, they've given us no reason to be confident in them. Right, plugs, what have you got? Uh, a big piece on Belgium, I think, coming out, actually. Um, lots of talk pre-tournament, which was about, uh, you know, last chance for the Golden Group, and I've kind of delved into a little bit of that, and it didn't take very long to discover there's not much of the uh, actual Golden Group left, and the, what, the group that is there now is not very golden whatsoever, so they have a lot to do. No, more grey than golden, unfortunately yes. for them. Uh, we have gone long today. We will be back to the usual 30 minutes tomorrow. But given it was England versus USA, it, it kind of did. And potentially Leo Messi's uh, World Cup dreams on the line, it did warrant going a bit longer. But we will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. 
Sports Social Podcast Network. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 